Alright, everybody, welcome to the November 8th edition of Cascadian Views. Uh, I've got Dan and Chris to speak about the election that just happened. How are you guys going? Good. Good. Yeah, I was just saying in the banter beforehand, a little sleep deprived. It's been quite a week. Mm -hmm. It has been a roller coaster. Uh, despite us spending incredible amounts of resources and time letting everybody know exactly how this is going to work. Uh, everybody <laughs> still seemed incredibly surprised by it, even on our own side. I don't think yeah. anybody yeah. in the Democratic Party had internalized exactly how Democratic the mail vote was going to be. Uh, yeah, it could have saved ourselves a lot of angst. but Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you talk to the data guys, Nate Silver was basically saying this election was cooked election night looking at what was out in wisconsin and michigan and pennsylvania and knowing how many of them were were mail ballots that hadn't been counted yet he he was saying it was over and we had yeah. to wait three or four days but by god it was over oh and by the way trump did not show on fox news we were talking about this on the banter he did tweet <laughs> out a couple hours ago uh watch the mark levin show at 8 p.m Big surprise. We'll discuss mail and ballot hoax. Uh, so people just kind of assumed he was going to come on. He did not. So he was just expecting, oh, Mark Levin's going to talk about it. So and, you all yeah. should watch. And it's Mark a great Levin show. did talk about it. Um, the, some on the right are going apocalyptic over this, basically. Um, that the mail ballots are evidence of fraud, that the election is stolen. Mark Levin, on the show that we were just talking about, uh, expressly advocated that Pennsylvania state legislature needs to uh, just seat their own electors and ignore the vote in their state because it sure, sure. is apparently compromised beyond recognition, I guess. I mean, I was going to let one of you guys take it, but I'll just say it. The oh. country is breaking right now the <laughs> the election system that we have up our democracy is not uh really tuned to withstand this at all he's he's gonna fight tooth and nail for it and to be honest that makes it doesn't just make it worse for us it makes it worse for him there are there are certain trappings in the transition in the united states and part of that is you know the system that we have and what is best for that but part of it is also to give dignity to the loser mm -hmm. like you, you are still playing an active role in american democracy and you are still serving the people as you you know transition through this as you you know bring resources to the new administration up to speed you are a valued member of american democracy through this process and it gives a measure of dignity to somebody who just you know loss. Trump can't even bring himself to take it. No. <laughs> well, and I think that's not surprising, right? He was exactly like this on his way in. Right. He had no interest in any of the niceties or any of the nuts and bolts of transition either. I mean, that that's exactly right. I mean, they discounted everything on the way in and threw out every possible piece of advice and every possible anything that might have made for a smooth transition they discounted you know whether it was advice about Michael Flynn 
Korea or everything else and just kind of went their own chaotic way, including things like setting up illegal back channels between Kushner and foreign governments and just all kinds of insane things like that. So, yeah, on the way out, it sounds like they're treating it more or less the same, that they're just going to let the country flounder as uh, we get a ramshackle transition that uh, the Biden team has to put together from one side. Right. Which, I mean, and the Biden team of any recent incoming administration is probably the best position to do that. Oh, yeah. They have super recent White House experience. They know how all this works. Um, but still, Which is still not a good way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone had to. And uh, actually, speaking of the transition, I just posted um, a link in the group about, I don't know, five, ten minutes ago. Have you guys had a chance I saw to read that. that? Yeah. Dan, have you? I had not yet, no. You should when you get a chance. So uh, there's an official in the GSA, the General Services Administration of the U.S. government, who has to sign a letter um, authorizing resources for the transition once it becomes clear that there's a new president-elect. Uh, that official is appointed by the president. It's a Trump appointee right now. They are refusing to sign the letter. Will not allocate any government resources to the Biden transition. Great. <laughs> I, I don't know if this is like a permanent thing. Maybe they're just dragging their feet to like the electoral college meets and, you know, that way he only has a month to get ready or something like that. It's never been delayed like this before. Uh, when the election is called, that usually swings into, into action yeah. there. I was going to say, I'm trying to think back to 2000. I think the Clinton administration was still in pretty constant communication with both the Trump and, or not the Trump, but the Bush and the Gore teams in the event that yeah, they, worked dual they were going to have to hand things over to, you know, exactly, to George W. Bush. Yeah, uh, both... <sighs> Both the Gore team and the Bush team in 2000 were involved in the transition. Both had resources uh, because they needed the time, whichever one it was going to end up being. The Supreme Court didn't decide that until December. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see here. The Electoral College convenes in early December, I want to say, or is it mid-December? I mean, that's when we're going to finally get a cap on this, but... Uh, I don't think it's actually when we're finally going to get a cap on this, even from the Electoral College's perspective. Uh, New York has acknowledged that they're going to blow past that deadline. I'm counting their votes. Oh, great. Uh, they say uh, several, several places in New York say they will not be uh, done counting before the Electoral College meets. I imagine New York is going to send the Democratic uh, electors anyway. It's not like Congress. This is statewide. It's pretty clear who's going to win right. statewide in New York. Uh, but it is possible we may get that delayed if they want to finish counting the votes. Huh. Yeah. Brooklyn, in particular, is not expecting to be done counting until, uh, like, December 17th. Good wow. Lord. <laughs> okay. Well, then I really need Georgia and Arizona to make up their minds so that we can afford to not have 29 electoral votes. Uh, yeah. Arizona is cooked at this point. Um, so is Georgia, although there will be a recount. I don't believe right. there's going to be a recount in uh, Arizona. 
the margin there is over 20,000 votes still. Everything else should be pretty friendly to Biden. It's going to start going up. In fact, it's yeah. been going up today. Uh, at one point, Biden was down to, at his lowest point, 17,000 uh, vote lead before it started pumping back up again. The Maricopa ballots uh, have finally mm -hmm. turned from late arriving mail ballots, which have skewed towards Trump. Not enough towards Trump to win it, but enough to make it close. And they're now onto provisionals, which is skewing towards Biden. Okay. Uh, Georgia is also pretty cooked. Uh, in the end, it it was over. It's going to be over ten thousand votes. It's currently over ten thousand votes. It's going to end somewhere over ten thousand votes, um, which was more than we expected. Looking at Biden's targets, uh, we thought he was going to win. It was going to be. About 4,000 votes, um, maybe somewhere between two and 6,000 if you account for him, you know, underperforming or overperforming based on your expectations. Uh, the actual final count is uh, currently 10,200 and something, and it's probably going to go up a couple dozen, but that's about it. That's left out. Right. Yeah. And I saw, I don't know if this is current information, but I was trying to figure out what Arizona's recount policy is and the only thing i could find is that it's one tenth of one percent which <laughs> yeah that's Biden a very narrow range that's a close yeah. that's a close race so i don't think they'll be anywhere near having that kick in uh it's yeah. looking like pennsylvania is not going to be the tipping point state wisconsin i would think yeah. yeah the margin uh as a proportion of population in pennsylvania is going to end up being larger than wisconsin yeah well, significantly. I mean, Wisconsin is razor thin, really. I mean, we assumed, you know, I, I think that's probably one of the bigger polling misses, actually, when you look at it, because the averages had Biden up by, you know, six or seven percent. And yeah. I mean, a lot of us were not so concerned. But I mean, that's much closer than Pennsylvania. It's much closer than, yeah, you know, much closer than Michigan. Um, it, May, I think as a matter of percent, I think it's probably closer than Nevada. Oh, easily. Nevada is yeah. up to 2% now and only going to grow big. We're we're going to win Nevada by like 5 7%. Yeah. There's 100,000 votes still left to count all of them from Clark County. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think that's, that's going to be problematic still in the future. That's... That's I mean, kind of... Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot the last day or two, and it'll take a while until, you know, as, as Brock was just saying, until all the numbers are really settled out and you can really tell. But I think the party is going to want to take a good, long look at, like, where it really wants to bank on the future. Uh -huh. you know, I think do you want to keep there? <laughs> the, I hope the so. The blue wall is not the, the position of the party in the future. In fact, uh, there was a great piece that I wrote, or not that I wrote, that I read, um, that was arguing that uh, Clinton's failure was not losing the blue wall. That's that's just happening. The Midwest is, is moving away. It was the fact that she couldn't put together the Sunbelt Coalition before it crumbled. Uh, and Biden has not only managed to piece together for probably the last time the complete blue wall in the northern Midwest, but he has finally kind of put the pieces together on the, on the Sunbelt Coalition, moving Georgia, moving Arizona to his column. Uh, right. This is kind of where Democrats are going to play in the future. You know, North Carolina is getting 
to be a swing state. We're hoping to solidify that. Uh, Arizona, Nevada are now, and Colorado are now solidly in the, the Democratic column. We're working on Texas. You know, this yeah. this kind of sunbelt uh, region of the country, the the southern states, uh, not the cultural Except for Florida. South. Yeah. <laughs> not, not the cultural south, but the, the southern states are really where the Democrats' big play is going to be coming in the next few cycles here. Yeah, as a matter of necessity. I mean, in the medium term and in in the immediate term, because we've got a, we, we're going to have to win two runoffs in Georgia if Biden's going to be able to have a, an actual presidency. I mean, just from what McConnell has you know, promised so far. Yeah, oh, I cannot believe he is still around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit weird. Yeah. Uh, let's see the. Uh... You talked about the polls a minute ago, Dan. Let's, let's mm-hmm. kind of talk about that. They had good nights and bad nights, depending on where you were. Yeah. Uh, it does look like they're going to end up being more or less in the ballpark for the uh, the Biden national numbers, uh, especially once California and New York finish counting. Biden should win that. Uh, should win the popular vote by about 5%, maybe 6 or 7%, right up there with... Uh, around where the margin was getting to towards the end. There are some yeah. states that were absolutely pegged. Florida, the polls were completely right. That that was a Trump plus one, yeah. Trump plus two state. Um, that's what it ended up being. Um, Michigan was a miss. Uh, Wisconsin was a miss. Pennsylvania is going to end up being about right. That was, uh, you know, Biden plus two, Biden plus three in most polls. That's about where the final margin is going to end up. Uh, yeah. Kind of undershot it by a percent or so, but nothing terrible. Uh, Georgia, the polls were dead on. That was mm-hmm. a, a one or, or no point race right there. Uh, North Carolina appears to be a big miss. Iowa appears to be a big miss. Uh Texas appears to be a big miss. Uh, just a lot of places where it did not work out. Yeah. I mean, Texas, you could at least explain a little bit because it's it was a crazy turnout and really unusual there, which you know is going to screw up with any pollster's ability to model for the state. The fact that you've got a universe of so many new voters and different voters it's going to be more difficult for them to actually make a realistic projection. But yeah, the upper Midwest in particular, I think that was where, once again, because that was the problem last time, state polls were very far off. And I don't know what is driving it, whether it's Republican non-response or because they thought the issue last time was what, failing to wait for education. And that's supposedly what they were going to be fixing. Yeah. Uh, So they still think that's a little bit of a part of it, uh, although Mm -hmm. not in the way that you would think. Trump substantially improved his standing uh, among Hispanic voters in in a few places Mm. in particular. In uh, South Florida, especially Miami-Dade, and in the Rio Grande Valley in Texas was some of the biggest flips in the country. Can we talk about that later in a minute? Yeah, we absolutely can. Um, some of those districts swung 60 points towards Trump. 
And one of the things that pollsters were talking about is with the non-response rates, uh, especially among certain demographics related to education and how those demographics play out in Latino support uh, was, I think, a big source of this miss. A lot of these Latino voters that swung towards Trump uh, tend to be young, tend to be mobile, uh, more digital. They don't usually have phones or at least phones that pollsters call. They may buy, you know, prepaid phones that they use for a few months and then buy another one with a new number and whatnot. Uh, it was a real invisible shift in the polls in, in the Hispanic community. And I, I don't know if there's an answer to that because it's not that they need to wait better. It's that they can't get these people. Um, also, a, a problem with the waiting, especially the education waiting, is that it's really geared towards white people. Uh, and among white people, uh, people without a college degree tend to be Republican. Among uh, white people, people with a college degree tend to be Democratic. In the Latino community, that's flipped. Uh, Latinos without a college degree tend to be Democratic. Latinos with a college degree tend to be Republican. So when you start doing these weightings uh, based on you know, the, the white majority in the country, and you already have an issue where you can't get a hold of certain Latinos and you try to wait differently, just the way that your assumptions play out with that, uh, plus the waiting tends to just make the results all over the place mm. and not not super predictive uh, of anything. And yeah. All right, Chris, talk about what you're going to talk about. <laughs> well, so in Florida, and again, numbers are still settling. Things may look entirely different once the full set of, you know, all votes and all demographics is in. But in Florida, you, there's at least a story you could kind of tell yourself and understand about the Cuban community, uh -huh. right? And what Trump did that appealed to that. It wasn't Border, Cubans, though. Yeah, well, so well, Venezuelans as well, yeah. Right. <laughs> Border. Hispanics in Texas are largely Mexican-American. Many of them have families in Mexico. I, I would just instinctively think this would be a group he would get roughly zero with after his policies. And the fact that it's a group that strongly swung toward him is just kind of baffling. I mean, you're thinking in policy, which is fine, but... I don't know exactly how many voters make up their minds based on policy. A lot of people like attitude, and mm -hmm. Trump certainly has a lot of that. There's also a little bit of a, a angle I'd think about with that uh, in terms of basically I got mine. Like when you you make such an issue about border crime, and and let's be clear, border crime affects everybody. They, you know, it may be magnified on the, the side of, you know, white fragility here in America. But if you're a Latino farmer in the Rio Grande Valley and there are, you know, drug smugglers running through your field at night, you're going to get kind of pissed off about it. Um, and more to the point, a lot of these people came into this country, you know, decades ago, maybe through a legal process, maybe not. But. You want to protect what you have. This is the same reason why the candidate who pledges to increase your property values tends to win in local elections. 
I, uh, I don't think we did enough of a good job selling what the Democratic Party is offering to these people when the GOP is basically offering stability to these people. Um, and you or I can talk all we want about how none of their policies will lead to stability. Uh, we can have, you know, academic discussions about what these, uh, you know, migration policies will mean, what it'll do to families. But when you get down to kitchen table issues like that, sometimes feelings are more important. And I think one of the things Trump has been very good at is distilling his pitch down to basically raw emotion. I, one of the things that I keep coming back to with this, and I think this might apply to a lot nationwide, but especially in Texas, I mean, considering the difference in the vote totals from last time to this time, I mean, isn't it at least possible that a lot of these folks were just non-activated Trump supporters from 2016 and this time, since Texas was a much more important race and both Democrats and Republicans were investing more in it in 2020, that, you know, these might have been just low propensity Trump supporters in the first place. And right this time around, it was important. So they showed up at the polls to be counted. I, I mean, and clearly nationally, there must be some of that, right? Like he's yeah. had nine million voters since last time. His percentage total of the electorate is actually up. A lot of people who were just sitting it out for whatever reason last time, but who were potentially supporting him, yeah. got pulled in by the high turnout. I, I think that's more the case in Florida than it is in Texas. Um, in Florida, Biden hit Hillary's numbers in, in Miami-Dade. He matched hers. Uh, Trump just added 200,000 new voters in my right. days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas the swing in the Rio Grande Valley is not anything like that. Biden wasn't hitting Hillary's numbers. Hmm. And yet Texas overall is going to come in at maybe half the margin? Well, the Department of Homeland Security just celebrated. And a lot of that's, I think, probably expansion in the suburbs then, really. Yeah. For Democrats uh, in that case, right. yeah. Our, our vote share in the suburbs uh, has actually, like, increased substantially. We've uh, put Fort Worth in the Democratic column again. That used to be one of the largest Republican cities in the country. Uh, that had happened once before by a little bit. We thought it was just uh, kind of a, a one-off deal, but it's happened a second time now. Um, we are flipping the suburbs in Texas. It's just the rurals are flipping hard for Trump, too, and it's turning out that that doesn't really have a racial characteristic. Mm -hmm. Where you live in this country is one of the biggest predictors about who you voted for in this last election, more so than really any other demographic information. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's see. It was kind of a roller coaster on election night. We, We started off with this, that we didn't really just we didn't really internalize how democratic the mail vote was going to be, but let's let's rewind the clock a little bit. Election night, uh, about 8 p.m. Eastern time, uh, results started coming in. By midnight, everybody kind of thought that Trump had won. 
he was winning in the results in Wisconsin. He was winning the results in Michigan. He was winning in the results in Pennsylvania. He was winning in the results in Georgia. He was winning in the results in North Carolina. He was winning in the results in Florida. Really, every battleground we had, Trump was up. Uh, and one of those was scarier than the others. Florida counts their mail ballots, like, immediately when they get them. They, they have them counted before Election Day. So they report totals the, the moment the polls close. Uh, that really was kind of an indicator in a lot of people's mind how it was going to go. But in the end, Florida was just different. Over the course of the, the next 24 hours, we took the lead in Wisconsin and Michigan as more votes were counted. Georgia tightened up significantly. About three days after the election, uh, Georgia flipped into her column. About four days after the election, uh, Pennsylvania flipped into her column. It it was a scary few days. It was a roller coaster. It really was. And I can speak for myself personally. I... You know, I've been reading and writing about this for months. Like, I, I knew about this whole Red Mirage business, but there's still something very visceral about the way the numbers came in. And I think for me, part of it was I had been sold on the idea that this was going to be a very high turnout election and this was going to benefit the Democrats and if anything, there might be a little upside to the numbers that we'd seen. And instead, the at least in many key states, once again, the polling error was all in Trump's direction. So I was really, for uh, however foolishly, <laughs> expecting a more decisive indicator, you know, by late in the night, election night. And instead, we had a It'll probably be okay. <laughs> Keep counting. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I'm trying to trying to piece together at least how I was feeling at least through various parts of the night. And yeah, Florida was definitely a shock. I mean, emotionally, it you know triggers back memories of 2016 and also for that 2018. matter, 2018, <laughs> where things went so badly for Andrew Gillum. Yeah. Um, Not the worst they would go for Andrew Gillum, it turned out. It's, yeah, yeah, unfortunately so. Um, and then I think what it kind of really called to mind is if this is the range where things are at, then you start thinking of other, you know, kind of bad indicators that there were in the days leading up to the election, like the Selzer poll in Iowa, which turned out actually to be pretty accurate, which. Mm -hmm. It was also very frightening, but also once everything was accounted for in the rest of the Midwest, not so much of an indicator of the behavior of you know the upper Midwest, fortunately. But it definitely seemed like that, you know, maybe this was the more accurate portrait of the electorate, and here's what we were going to be dealing with. And then three or four steps down the road from that was, of course, four more years of Trump. <laughs> I feel like what really kind of emotionally started turning it around for me, at least, was when it turned when that Fox News call for Arizona, which was came super in. premature. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> really? it turned out that they were being very irresponsible with it, yeah. but it was at least one state where you could say, okay, something at least has gone right somewhere. So 
perhaps we need to wait and see on a little bit more of these ballots in, in the upper Midwest. And it turned out that that was ultimately what was correct. But if, if Fox doesn't make that call, I think uh, the president has a very different uh, persona right now. Oh, yeah. I, I think he is much more combative. I think he is. And he's pretty combative already. Um, He'd have had a full on victory party that night. Yes. Yeah. There there would have been a Trump rally. He would have declared victory on national TV. Balloon have... drops and God knows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let, let's talk about the upper Midwest in a, for a second. One state that we haven't talked about much. And that was a state that the polls got almost exactly right. And that was Minnesota. Is there, yeah. is there any difference in Minnesota from the other ones? I, I, so I do know there is actually one major difference. Minnesota has one of the highest uh, proportion of college graduates in the country. They're the most highly educated state in the upper Midwest and one of the most highly educated states in the entire country. Uh, mm. Is that the only thing that that fixed the polls in, in that state? I'm going to have to look at some of the population statistics. I think it's also possible that you know the Twin Cities and Duluth, which are the main Democratic strongholds there, might be a larger percentage of the population than you know the, the e over east in Democratic stronghold. Yes, I honestly did not know that. It's a small yeah. city. I had no idea. It's only it's, a thousand people. Yeah, but it's it's fairly blue. I think that was where uh, Franken ended up making up the difference in two thousand eight. Oh. Um. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think between the Twin Cities and, you know, a few of those other areas, there just might be enough more of an urban population relative to the rest of the rural. Yeah. Again, I'm going to have to look up more specifics on the population of Wisconsin, but that's just my intuition. There is an interesting possibility, and I would like to like to think about how we might be able to validate this with actual data at some point. But Minnesota was like ground zero of the racial justice movement over the summer. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that just galvanized a certain portion of the population, you know, and made them determined to show up no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it is in general actually probably a little bit more racially diverse too. There's a large immigrant Grand population in Minis- in Minneapolis. Um, again, this is all compared to Wisconsin. I haven't thought so much about Michigan, although Michigan turned out to be safer in the end of the day. Is there any possibility at all, and I know this sounds really, really dumb, but is there any chance at all the reason is because Republicans spent, you know, so much time demonizing Democrats and the Democratic Party in Minnesota is not called the Democratic Party. <laughs> just uh, just kind of curious there. I don't it's know. It's the I DFL. Mean, it's, it's Democrat farmer labor in Minnesota. I, I, I mean, at least Galvin and Al Gross don't call themselves Democrats, but I have a feeling that whenever things counted, they're going to be down by more than double digits. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I actually, I was this morning I saw someone tweeting something to that effect too. Like, what if instead of just having a Democratic Party in the South, we created like a Christian People's or Christian Social Party or something like that, and basically had it be 
democratic policies on health care and child care and education and stuff like that and just have it completely not touch the subject of abortion and other you know social stuff and I feel like that's the sort of thing that might work for one cycle or two, but then voters get wise to it and realize, wait a minute, you're still not doing all the racially revanchist and socially revanchist stuff that I want you to do. So we're going to vote you out and put in Republicans that will do it. I mean, that's kind of what happened in Alaska, it appears. You know, we had a lot of... uh, Independents and in some cases Republicans running effectively as Democrats, including you know for four years uh, Governor uh, Walker. But voters caught on to that. It took them a couple of cycles, but they did. And I think we're still waiting on the results there. But at least the early indicators is that 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 uh, bipartisan majority or multipartisan majority of Democrats, Independents, and uh, Republicans masquerading or Democrats. Republicans who are basically caucusing with Democrats and are effectively voting as Democrats, it's all going to be smashed away by the results of this election. So, I don't know. Minnesota is not more racially diverse than Wisconsin. It isn't? Well, at least not by any substantial margin. Uh, Newest numbers I see are 2012. The non-Hispanic white percent of population in Minnesota is 82.3 it's 82.8 in wisconsin so no kidding. percentage point difference i could have sworn huh oh well and uh both of those are about 20 percent above the total u.s population non-hispanic whites are 62.8 percent of the u.s population yeah i mean they're, they're very white states and I think that would be at least my default assumption for why Wisconsin is swinging away, but it is weird that Minnesota is not. I'm I'm going to stick by my theory. I'm going to sure. attempt to find some data to actually validate it at some point. <laughs> I, but then also, uh, just to not you know cast doubt on your theory, but just to throw a devil's advocate out there, uh, Wisconsin was home to some of those, uh, you know, very big racial injustice protest Kenosha uh, right. Kenosha I don't even know how to pronounce that despite watching that 70s show when I was younger uh, was the scene of one that Trump really vilified just a couple months ago mm-hmm. yeah yeah they, yeah they were trying to make that that was going to be his turnaround point was you know going all Kenosha and then well then Trump has his ADD, so he got focused on something else. It was all Hunter Biden or whatever. But yeah, that was going to be their focus. Right. Speaking of the ADD, can we talk about what I think is a moment that we absolutely as a country did not deserve and yet got anyway? The Four Seasons uh, (laughs) press conference (laughs) the other day. That is just amazing. It was our reward for putting up with election week. Every time I go over what happened with that, I can't believe it even more. Like it is, it is quite possibly, and I I know I I have a knack for hyperbole, but I'm being completely serious here. It is quite possibly the funniest moment in the history of American politics. <laughs> I could not stop laughing about this whole 
fucking thing. I cannot uh, believe they actually went through with it. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! Oh my god, the interviews with the guy who owns the porn store next door. Like, just reporters talking to him on his steps, and he's just like, I, I came out here to see if Rudy was actually going to do it. And this, like, creepy old guy comes up, and he's like, hey, you open? And the dude's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, turns away from the porter to walk back into the porn shop. <laughs> and this was, like, live as Rudy was doing, like, his little press conference thing. Oh, my God. I am in tears. If anybody doesn't know how this is going, uh, President Trump wakes up. Was this yesterday? Yeah. This only it was yesterday? Just yesterday. It was yeah. only yesterday. <laughs> He wakes up and he tweets that there's going to be a big press conference at the Four Seasons Hotel. Four minutes after that, he retweet or he quote tweets himself to correct himself to say that it is not the Four Seasons Hotel. It's Four Seasons Total Landscaping in Pennsylvania. And then he deletes the original tweet and the quote tweet and then just reposts calling it the uh, Four Seasons Total Landscaping in Pennsylvania. Three minutes after that, the Four Seasons Hotel in Philadelphia has to clarify that he is not talking about the hotel whatsoever, that they have no Trump events, and that he's talking about a landscaping business. Reporters find out that this is, it's seriously like a strip mall between, well, across the street is a crematorium, and next to it is (laughs) an adult bookstore, which advertises a Dildo Madness Wednesday sale, and has live viewing booths in the back. In some random-ass fucking side street at the edge of Philadelphia. And Rudy gets in front of this thing, puts like a Trump backdrop on a steel fucking garage door behind him. And does this, why not at the lawyer's office? Why not anywhere else? Why not in front of City Hall? (laughs) Yeah. They chose this landscaping business in the middle of fucking nowhere. And I swear to God, it has to be because Trump just looked up the number four seasons, Philadelphia, and called the first one he found. There was no other possible explanation for this, and I really do not understand how they went through with it. I mean, that must be what happened. That has to be what happened. But the fact that they doubled down on it and didn't try and fix it. Yeah, you changed the venue. Jesus, have somebody go out and look at where you're going. There there are literally places you can do that look super professional and do not cost you a dime. You can 100% hold a press conference on the steps of City Hall. Yeah. 100%. Nobody will stop you. Why not? Guess they might have gotten hit with protesters or something, but good lord, yeah. I mean, it's it's like a Spinal Tap vignette. You know? It really is. <laughs> oh, good lord. I, I read a reporter on this who was talking about how they would absolutely read a, a 1,500-word breakdown of exactly how this press conference happened from conception to execution. And they finished it off by saying that the hero of the story is 100% the person in Four Seasons Landscaping who answered the phone and had the presence of mind to quote them a rental fee instead of correcting them. <laughs> yeah, you could you could have that for like 100 bucks. Sure. <laughs> Just clean up after. I am, oh my God. Uh, it, the press conference ended up being about 
their lawsuits. They're 0 for 10 on their lawsuits right now. Yeah. Um, and I don't see that improving anytime soon. The Supreme Court, I'm guessing, is going to throw out the late mail ballots in Pennsylvania. Um, yeah. But also those mm-hmm. won't matter. So, they don't matter. Yeah. Uh, it is a shame that they're going to throw out the mail ballots. Those were cast in accordance with uh, the Pennsylvania Department of Election. Uh, which extended the the mail-in time as they were able to do under Pennsylvania law. The argument that conservative justices are making across the country is that constitutionally there is a clause that reads that only the legislature can set election rules. Uh, The legislature set the wiggle room the Department of Elections, Secretary of State had. Uh, they were working with authority granted to them by the legislature, but the legislature did not actually pass the election law change. Um, so that's kind of where they're at. Dan, you seem to be doing legal research. Oh, I'm actually just responding to a text inquiry here. So oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. It's kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall, trying to find something that'll stick. You know, maybe it's just kind of dumbass imitation of what happened in 2000, but the situation is just so goddamn different on every level. I mean, when the first of all, when the official count came in in Florida in 2000, Gore was behind, Bush was ahead. It was one state, it was a minuscule amount, and yeah, the recount very well could have changed things in his favor, but all Bush needed to do was stop the count. I mean, the remedies that Trump is going to need are just so much more invasive and so much more severe Yeah, and cutting across so many more states that I don't see how they can do that. And rewind just a little bit to the Florida thing. Um, It's it's in the realm of possibility that Gore could have won with a recount, but I don't think anybody would have told you it was likely. No, I mean, it's not. Well, yeah. mean, it's all counterfactual. There have been studies and looked at, you know, what was, where were the outstanding ballots and where were, you know, what was the rate of recovery in some of these various counties. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. It, it, it was not a guarantee. Exactly. And that's something very different, I think, than in this election you know where we're getting out into the weeds there and yeah it's pretty easy to argue gore should have won there but it wasn't really hanging chads it was you know thousands of people who were you know fooled by ballot design into voting for uh, a virulent anti-semite uh, in jewish retirement right. communities and whatnot there were thousands of votes there there were deeper problems and it wasn't the counting of, of ballots necessarily um i think Trump's position here is much more anti-democratic, and I already thought Florida was a pretty anti-democratic in the, the 2000 case, but it wasn't viscerally offensive in the way that right. a lot of Trump's challenges are. It's throwing away ballots that are clear and simple to count, and there's nothing even controversial about them. I mean, ultimately, in Florida, what could have changed the outcome were curing of ballots that might not have been read by a machine. Where you know the voters don't say circle their choice of candidate rather than mark the actual you know space, 
where they're supposed to as following instruction. But yeah, it was much more a lizard person election than a uh, absolutely democratic uh, like process. Decide these arbitrarily decide these votes will not count. Yeah. So I think possibly one of the explanations besides the fact that he's just Trump and he can't help it is <laughs> I think this could have been a useful strategy if a lot of margins were a lot closer and if there was a lot of unrest in the streets and if you had all these lawsuits, then maybe you could start doing things like spooking Pennsylvania state legislature into saying, we have to send an alternate batch of electors, uh-huh. or, you know, things like that. But nothing is in that realm. And even if they did, it wasn't. it isn't going to be decisive. So right. why would they stick their necks out like <laughs> exactly. that? Exactly. Right. I'm just, I just think he had a general, like, muddy all the waters as muddy as possible because maybe I can pull something out of it strategy. Yeah. And the water ended up being a little too clear <laughs> for, mm-hmm. for that to work. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Republican response. There are generally two types of Republican responses. Uh, the first is a full-on burn-it-all-down, uh, you know, the Lindsey Graham style. Uh, the other one is a carefully worded statement that, uh, agrees with the Democrats while not directly, uh, telling Trump he lost. Uh, Mitt Romney had, I think, one of the quintessential (laughs) examples of this. Hold on one second. Let me, let me pull it up here. Uh... Scroll, scroll, scroll. The president is within his rights to request rehounds, to call for investigation of alleged voting irregularities where evidence exists, and to exhaust legal remedies. Doing these things is consistent with our election process. It is wrong to say that the election was rigged, corrupt, or stolen. Doing so damages the cause of freedom here and around the world, weakens the institutions that lie at the foundation of the republic, and recklessly inflames destructive and dangerous uh, passions. Counting every vote is at the heart of democracy. That process is often long, and for those running, frustrating. The votes will be counted. If there are re- if there are irregularities alleged, they will be investigated and ultimately resolved by our courts. Have faith in our democracy. Basically saying he can yell all he wants, but the votes are the votes, and not really directly, like, taking a shot at him. Move uh, on, buddy. We're, we yeah. want to get on with telling Joe Biden that he has to make you know, John Bolton, Secretary of Defense. <laughs> uh, I don't uh, necessarily think that's going to happen. <laughs> I hope not. Not damn. <laughs> uh, the Bush family has all now congratulated Biden. Uh, Jeb and W both did. Uh, both of them cribbed some lines from their dad, which I definitely noticed there. Um, I spent a, a fair bit of time this week looking at um, concession speeches from past presidents uh, George H.W. Bush's was really one of the best I think when you looked out uh, look out at it part of that is probably just because he was ready to go uh, he spent eight years in the White House as a vice president he got to be president you know when the Soviet Union collapsed he 
cemented his place in the history books, and he was going off to the sunset to be a grandfather, as he said. Um, but both Bush, uh, both W and Jeb, uh, talked about how the successes of our president will be the successes of our country, um, and pledge to help in any way they can, uh, which is basically what. Bush said to Clinton in 92 on his way out the door, uh, he said he'd pray for his success and that he was rooting for him and that his success was the country's success. Yeah. Which is a very different Republican Party than you see now or saw when Obama took over, where they pledged, uh, you know, unrelated opposition. seems ironic that McConnell promised to make Obama a one-term president and ended up being Trump. <laughs> yeah, if anything can make me feel better about McConnell's continued existence, that, that makes me feel a little better. Yeah. Uh, there were some big Senate misses, I guess we can cover in the last little bit here. Um, Jamie Harrison got curb stomped. Amy McGrath got curb stomped. MJ Hager got curb stomped. Um, it was closer in Maine, but uh, Gideon... It's 8% right now. That's nowhere close, yeah. Oh, (sighs) has it gone back up? Uh, Right now, last I saw was Collins 51%, Gideon 43%. So, just wretched. Yeah. Yeah. That's terrible. There was some hope that Susan... Well, so the Gideon number, I think, can lie quite a bit. Well, I guess if you apply IRV, then maybe you yeah. get some of yeah. these third-party votes back to her. But. Yeah, ranked-choice voting. I, I think if you... Everything that's not Susan Collins, basically, I think is Sarah Gideon's. Uh, yeah. would actually run the, the ranked-choice voting. In fact, the progressive candidate in that race explicitly ran asking her supporters to put Gideon second. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the Gideon number lies, but the, the Collins number doesn't lie. There was some hope yeah. that she'd be under 50% in, in ranked choice voting to put Gideon over the top. But mm-hmm. looks like Collins beat the, the 50% mark by a percent or so. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that was that. that's the one that hurts because that was the one that was probably our best shot at getting over the line. And now we've got to bank everything on these two runoffs. Yeah. Well, in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. That, Even with all the reasons you might think uh-huh. it shouldn't have been close, he was still leading handily. Yeah. Of course, I mean, you know, Cooper won. Biden looks like he's going to be just a little short, and Cunningham's just going to look like he was a little bit further behind. I mean, of the three, I mean, all the polls had Biden being the one trailing the other two. Yeah. So, hmm. Yeah, Cunningham ended up weaker than weaker than we'd hoped. I mean, that was kind of assumed. Um, yeah. He was always running a couple points behind Biden. His path went through Biden carrying the state. Um, do we know how many outstanding mail ballots and provisionals there are there? They're not even going to count them until after the weekend. They have not said. Uh, I think that's been kind of the big question mark, but the assumption has been that it's not going to be enough to get Biden over, so it's definitely not going to be enough for Cunningham. Yeah. Biden actually has been trending better in the late 
you know, the last incoming ballots, but he'd have to be trending insanely better for it. Yeah. Let's see. It looks like there's 100,000 votes out. Terrell's homemade. Yeah, 99,000 votes, and Trump's lead is currently 76,000 votes. I wouldn't say it's categorically impossible. I would say it's very unlikely. Mm. Yeah. I yeah. I have some hope, <laughs> but not a whole lot. Still, yeah. I was underestimating those mail ballots early on in the night of election night. I don't necessarily want to hear Biden's winning mail ballots like 80-20 nationally. Yeah. Um, which I suppose is what happens when you spend all that time telling your supporters not to use mail ballots. Right. Yeah, there just aren't <laughs> that many on the Republican side to come in. But yeah, that was not what we, I think it's just so foreign from what we would expect that any kind of large number of ballots like that would favor one side. So yeah. it was strange. But, you know, again, a relief. <laughs> in Pennsylvania, he was even beating that, that number. He was pulling in 83% of mail ballots at one point I, I was looking at. Uh, this is one of the things I think Graham has talked about when he says that Trump has to go to the Supreme Court and change election laws in this country. <laughs> they don't like it being easier for people to vote. They like to know the results all at once. They don't like these processes, which we didn't need to have these long processes. These were 100%. Yep. Uh, something imposed by Republican state legislatures in these countries, these con yeah, countries, these states. Yep. Uh, it's not even really all Republicans. The Republicans in Florida have put together a system where mail votes are counted quickly on election mm -hmm. night. Uh, in fact, yeah. before election night, but reported on election night. Uh, this doesn't seem like it has to be a partisan issue, but it definitely is becoming one. Uh, we've got a couple minutes left, so let's swing to some local uh, news. Oregon passed all statewide ballot measures, which means simple possession of almost all scheduled narcotics is now a administrative ticket uh, instead of a crime. Uh, I believe a hundred dollars. <laughs> I I had mixed feelings about that one. I did vote for it. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but there's a huge problem with drugs here. Um, I really think we need more stuff in, in treatment and, and rehab, which this measure did. It reallocated some of the marijuana tax money to support that. But I also just feel like there needs to be a legislative remedy to put people in treatment and rehab, you know, being able to sentence somebody to that. Um, so I don't know. We'll see how it works. But that is pretty exciting. Um, even more exciting than that, we are opening therapeutic uh, psilocybin clinics in order to uh, do some research into the seemingly known positive effects of microdosing on psilocybin for depression and schizophrenia. We have um, a reelected mayor here in Portland for the first time in over two decades 
Wheeler ran for and got a second term. It was close. Um, if everybody who voted write-in for Teresa Rayford, uh, we don't actually know how many voted for her. They're not going to tabulate those votes. Uh, it was a runoff, after all, but we do know how many people voted write-in at all. Um, if those votes had gone to Sarah Inarone, she would have been the mayor. Um, Wheeler got more than 50% of the two-person vote, but he did not get more than 50% of ballots. So, shot themselves in the foot there. Anything up in Washington? Uh, our ballot measures passed pretty handily, but it was not super controversial. It was, I think, an additional tax surcharge to cover uh, rest home and you know, end-of-life care. Uh, what, let's see here, the legislature looks like there's some mild gains for Democrats, but not anything huge, but that's still kind of surprising since 2018 was so overwhelming in the first place. Uh, Kim Schreier is running very close in the uh, congressional district eight, uh, but she's still ahead by about three percentage points after all the ballots so far this week. So hopefully she's going to hold on think that about sums it up. Uh, Lauren Culp got beat to a pulp in the governor's race, and then he got fired by his uh, city council. Uh, Why? He was, he was a, I guess for not working was mainly it. He's just been off on his campaign, not showing up, not doing anything. And uh, Republic Washington decided to go full Antifa and defund their police. So, <laughs> okay. Oh wow. I'm I'm being facetious there, but yeah, it's this teeny little town in <laughs> northeast Washington State, and it was a police department of just him, and they eliminated his job. So I'm not yeah. sure. I think they're turning everything over to the county, but yeah, they defunded the police. <laughs> you guys did keep your uh, one statewide Republican. Yeah, not too surprised there. Kim Wyman has been returned as Oregon Secretary of State. Democrats, uh, or excuse me, Washington Secretary of State. Democrats have reclaimed the Oregon Secretary of State's office. Mm -hmm. um, this had been run by a Republican, um, a, a rather respected guy, uh, died of a brain aneurysm last year. Uh, the governor, for reasons, um, appointed another Republican to replace him. Uh, they ran for re-election, did not win. Democrats now have that office. Mm -hmm. Not really sure why Brown went with appointing a Republican to that. I know it was a, it really stuck in Amelia's craw in the group. She had a lot of concerns about mm -hmm. that when it first happened last year. Um, I guess there's some personal reasons. Brown is friends with uh, the guy's deputy who was, who she appointed to, to leave the, mm -hmm. the office. But yeah. That's about it. Interesting. And I guess you're all about to, are you hitting another lockdown or is it just a reopening pause? Uh, it uh, is, it's not quite a full lockdown, but yes. Um, the governor has called it a social activities pause. Um, businesses are encouraged to allow everybody who can to work from home. There's a ban on gatherings, more than six people. Restaurants have to be at 50% or uh, 50 people or 25% capacity, whichever is smaller. Um, it's timed horribly. 
it, it is the dumbest thing in the world. It expires one day before Thanksgiving because they didn't want to piss people off by telling them they couldn't have Thanksgiving with other people. Uh, which kind of defeats the whole fucking purpose of the two-week pause, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. That's a number of counties, uh, most prominently Multnomah, which is the home of Portland. Uh, there was also possibly the other two um, Portland counties, Clackamas and Washington, joining us. They were right on the edge, and the governor said it's going to come down to their Monday numbers. Uh, if they're going the wrong direction on Monday, she will be slapping them in the lockdown, too. There were a number of other uh, Oregon counties, mostly out in the east, Hermiston, Malheur, and whatnot, that are also going back into the pause. Uh, we're not doing well on coronavirus in, in Oregon. Is there anything happening with that up in... Uh, no official actions have been taken yet. Um, I would say a lot of the public institutions that were planning on doing more reopening this year are closing down and starting to look more at January as a possibility. I know way up here in the far northwest, you know, numbers have actually been pretty good. So okay. we're kind of knocking on wood and holding tight, but uh, we're having some of our better numbers since the summer at the moment. So you're starting to see some schools and other things like that start doing limited reopening in the very, very far northwest. But our, uh, our case counts have doubled in the last week. <laughs> Yeah, no, we're we're back up above a thousand a day statewide. So yeah, we're almost there. Yesterday was nine hundred and eighty-eight. Yeah. Uh, as recently as last week, we were freaking out because the numbers were in the high four hundreds, low five hundreds, uh, and that had been the highest they'd ever been. We're about to crack a thousand. So you know. Yeah. Stuff. So yeah, the election's over, and now we've got the winter of Rona. Yeah. Hooray. It's going to be bad. And a national government that won't be functioning at all <laughs> the rest of the year. Well, good luck, folks. 